This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am your one of your hosts, Swatha Ananda Kumar, and I'm joined by... Hello, everyone. My name is Clark Rockfall, and I am ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you to everyone who's joining us by listening on the ACB Media Network, as well as anywhere you've listened to your podcast via your favorite podcast player. As always, you can find out more about the American Council of the Blind by visiting www.acb.org or by reaching out to Swatha and me by emailing advocacy at acb.org. Great. So today's podcast, um, so Clark and I recently attended a conference held by, held by the National National Industry for the Blind and the one through the podcast on the um, program that they're under and that um, covers a lot of blind, of blind employment. So the Ability One program. Um, and today we have as our ACB guest, uh, Dan's brother, brother Nia Spoon. Hello, Swatha. Glad to be here Hello, today. Dan. Excited to uh, talk about um, the National Industries for the Blind and the Ability One program. Yes, thanks for joining us, Dan. And in addition to uh, folks here with ACB, uh, we know our members are uh, passionate about the Ability One program. Uh, many of them are involved with the the Ability One program or have been uh, throughout their their careers in all parts of the country. So we're very fortunate to have. Uh, joining us here today, several folks uh, from the Ability One Commission, uh, beginning with Kimberly Zeit. Kimberly, how are you doing today? Hi, this is Kim Zeit, and I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you for having us. And we also have two uh, commissioners from the Ability One Commission. So, Brian Bashan, good, af- uh, good day depending on where and when you are. <laughs> it's it's still morning here in San Francisco and uh, really pleased to be on and to talk about the Billy One Commission and jobs, jobs, jobs. Jobs, jobs, jobs. That is right. And also, uh, Gabe Casadas. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Clark and Swatha. Thanks for having us on today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, as are we. So, Swatha, let's jump on into it. Yep, absolutely, Clark. Um, so, Kim, um, t- what is the Ability One program? Can you give a brief overview of what it is? Yes, the Ability One program is an employment program. It's administered by a federal agency, the U.S. Ability One Commission, and the program leverages the federal procurement system. There's a fairly new mission statement that we have for the Ability One program, so I would like to share that with you. To tap America's underutilized workforce of individuals who are blind or have significant disabilities, to deliver high quality, mission essential products and services to federal agencies in quality employment opportunities. 
And there are about 40,000 people who work on Ability One contracts, providing products and services to the federal government across the nation. There are 58 nonprofit employers in the Ability One program that are associated with National Industries for the Blind and that focus on providing employment and training opportunities to people who are blind or visually impaired. Ability One products and services, to give you a brief snapshot, uh, cover everything from office supplies to personal protective equipment, PPE, which has been so essential during the pandemic. And some of the services that we have in the program include contact center support, administrative and contract closeout services. Very nice. Um, so what is your, what is your role as acting, acting, acting commissioner? My role is currently the acting executive director of the commission staff. I've worked in progressively responsible commission, uh, commission positions for more than two decades. And so I lead the staff in carrying out the direction of the appointed commission members. These are exciting times for us. Our staff is excited about the ideas, energy, and opportunities that our commission members, including Brian and Gabe, bring to the organization. They have tremendous breadth and depth of experience and expertise, and the commission staff is fully supporting them as they create the future of the Ability One program. My responsibility is to administer the day-to-day -day operations of the Ability One program. That includes maintaining our procurement list of products and services, overseeing our compliance team, and a host of other activities that go along with running a small federal agency. Great. Um, so Brian and Gabe, um, can you guys tell me about your roles as commissioners and um, how long you've been in the, in the, position, in the positions that you have now? Mm, thank you, Swatha. Um, you know, the law requires that the commission contain some representative of nonprofits who actually operate these um, agencies. And I'm one of those 58 agencies that um, Kim just mentioned. The Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired here in San Francisco has had an NIB Ability One contract for, gosh, more than 30 years. I've been CEO for 13 years. And so I've observed uh, in very minute ways how the program operates. I've also had the opportunity to visit dozens of uh, nonprofits in the Ability One system all over the country. And so I have a really intimate knowledge of how the program works, what its needs are, and some opportunities for growth in the future. The law okay. also requires that uh, representative that is uh, well-versed in issues affecting the employment of people who are blind sit on the commission. So I fill that role uh, in the commission and Brian and I and the rest of the private citizen commissioners have been serving just under a year. In fact, I think we got appointed in July uh, or early August of 2021. So we're, we're coming on our first anniversary as members of the commission. And we're really excited to work with Kim Zyke and Brian Howie, who's also joining us this afternoon. Uh, they do a tremendous job in managing the day-to-day -day of the organization. I guess it's worth mentioning 
too, Swatha, that uh, the four citizen members appointed by President Biden, we all have disabilities, and Gabe and I are both blind. It's great to hear that the commission is, rep is rep representative of the of the um, of the public it serves. So it's great to hear, um, Kim. The Ability One fiscal year 2022 20, 2026 draft strategic plan had three or had um, several goals and um, objectives. So can you describe them for us? Yes, thank you, Swada. I wanted to say by way of background that the Government Performance and Results Act requires all federal agencies to have a strategic plan and to update it every five years. Part of that process that the commission has been going through is to solicit feedback on our draft strategic plan. So that's what we've been doing for the past couple of months. We are still reviewing the public comments. We've um, had the strategic plan posted on regulations.gov. We received over 60 comments there. We've held a town hall as well as a listening session. And we have another listening session with self-advocates coming up this week. So we're still in the process of engaging stakeholders. I'm really glad to tell you about the draft strategic plan and where it stands today. There are three strategic objectives. The first is to expand competitive integrated employment or CIE for people who are blind or have other significant disabilities. That's the first strategic objective. The second is to ensure effective governance across the Ability One program. And the third strategic objective is to partner with federal agencies and Ability One stakeholders to increase and improve employment opportunities for people who are blind or have significant disabilities. And this is Clark. Kim, I, I was fortunate to be able to participate in one of the listening sessions held for advocacy organizations in April of 2022. Um, and the, the conversation around competitive integrated employment um, certainly came up a lot in that conversation, as well as in comments that have been filed with the commission. And, and frankly, it's a you know, integral to the work of the federal government and the Ability One program. Um, are you able to share how the commission will define competitive integrated employment in its work going forward? Mark, I would like to, to start, uh, but I, I am going to invite Gabe and certainly Brian to weigh in on this one as well. Uh, competitive integrated employment, as you noted, is uh, very important. It is certainly one of the goals and objectives um, that we see uh, in a whole of government approach. And one of the reasons I think this strategic planning process has been so rewarding is that we've had an opportunity to hear from stakeholders and to talk about these critical issues. So we've heard a lot of comments about CIE, um, what it means in the commission strategic plan and what it means overall. So uh, I think that I'm gonna ask Gabe if he would like to speak to how the commission is viewing competitive integrated employment. Thanks, Kim. And I think you laid out uh, perfectly our foundation. The Biden-Harris administration has made it clear as a whole of government 
that one of their main focuses for the disability community is using every lever of government to expand competitive integrated employment. Now, I wanna make one thing clear. The Re Rehabilitation Services Administration in the Department of Education is the agency that has the authority to interpret the statute uh, in the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act uh, draft regulation, regulations and all of its regulatory guidance. What we are trying to do is use all levers that we have available at our disposal under the current structure of the Ability One program, under the existing framework of the Javits Wagner O'Day Act, which is the name of the act that uh, allows us to do the work that we do to promote integration in employment. What we are not doing is creating a new definition of CIE or attempting to water down the definition of CIE that the Rehabilitation Services Administration has already put out through its rulemaking process. That's not our role and that's not um, our authority. So we're trying to do everything we can to advance progress given our uh, structure in the Ability One program as it stands today. And Brian, I don't know if you want to have, if you have anything you want to add. Well, I just want to say that why this is important and why this emphasis on competitive integrated employment, not only as, as a blind person myself, I want the maximum diversity of opportunities, including working in the general economy and not only for purpose-built uh, employment settings, but also because at, we want to grow this program into the competitive space. And to do it, let's look at the numbers. In California, for instance, only about one half of 1% of jobs that are, um, that are occupied by blind people are provided by NI, NIB programs. 99.5% of the future growth potential is outside in the general economy. Now, as Gabe said, we are uh, restricted to our, our, our original foundational law, the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act currently. But in the future, we may have an opportunity to revisit that law and see whether we can have more authority to uh, expand competitive. Uh, and by competitive integrated employment, I mean working in large federal contractors, exciting companies, whether they be service companies or production companies or companies that provide uh, uh, so software and high tech and all of that. These are great places. We know the numbers of blind people working there are abysmally low, which is why competitive integrated employment is something that the commission is looking at in its strategic plan. So in uh, Gabe, back to you to start on, on this next question. Um, so with the, the work that the commission is doing on competitive integrated employment, uh, certainly the, the Javits-Wagner-O'Day Act, um, as many of our listeners know, requires uh, a labor ratio requirement of 75% of the work done to be provided by people who are blind or low vision um, on Ability One contracts. So is as you work toward competitive integrated employment, is that 75% um, ratio requirement, is, is that the only thing um, inhibiting the Ability One program from implementing CIE in a way that 
you know, harmonizes with the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act and the regulations of um, the Department of Education and Rehabilitation Services Administration? That's a great question, Clark, and thank you for, for giving me the, the opportunity to kind of kick it off. The DLH ratio, the direct labor hour ratio, is certainly, it's not the only barrier, but it's one of the biggest barriers that the commission currently has to promote competitive integrated employment. If you think about what the law requires us to do, the law requires that 75% direct labor hours are performed by people who are blind or have significant disabilities. Um, So that in itself presents a challenge to integration. But I think uh, as we look to the future, there are other things that we are looking at to implement to ensure that we address uh, issues like, you know, some NPAs are still using 14C certificates. That's also a barrier uh, to competitive integrated employment. So I think what you're seeing the commission do is use a number of different uh, opportunities through the regulations and policy subcommittee to move things forward through this, uh, not only through the strategic plan and our uh, strategic plan committee, but also through regulation and policy to ensure that the commission's policy is reflective of where the whole of government is moving towards with regards to federal disability employment policy. And I don't know, Kim or Brian, if you want to add anything to that. Brian, would you like to add anything? Um, You know, we know as blind people or people with disabilities when there is not integration. I've been in, in in the past, I've been in uh, NPAs where blind people ate lunch in one lunchroom and sighted people ate lunch in another. This is not, there may be a numerical 75% direct labor hour ratio here, but Integration is more than just that. And so as we look at definitions of integration, it's much more subtle and it's much more meaningful. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times in my life as a blind person where I've been legally entitled to be in a place, to sit in a place, but yet had strange behaviors and sometimes segregated behaviors around me. Every child in mainstream school has had that experience. Our job is to make sure that the workplace of the future is competitive and integrated and to look at tools that can help us do that, not to take away from people who are currently working in the program right now, but to look at opportunities for growth. And this is Kim. I I will just add that the public comments we've received on the draft strategic plan They can be viewed by anyone on regulations.gov. ACB has comments there posted, as well as many other organizations. And a lot of comments that I read uh, agreed with the commission's direction that it's time to look at changing this direct labor hour ratio and coming up with a, a different approach so that we can have greater integration across the board on Ability One contracts. And Kim, I'm glad you you mentioned the the additional comments. I know one of our uh, partners at an organization that ACB collaborates with a lot, the Vision Serve Alliance. Um, in in their comments, they referred to the the 
direct labor hour ratio as uh, a blind ceiling on employment and opportunities. Um, so as, as there are efforts to you know, reform or amend the, that requirement in the future, um, do, do you think that the, the Ability One program can become an, an integrated program and that the NPAs can become fully, uh, fully integrated work settings? I think the Ability One program has tremendous potential. Just as Gabe said, it's one of the many levers that the federal government can use and federal procurement in particular can, um, can enable us to create more employment opportunities. And I think that there is potential for greater integration in the Ability One program as currently structured. Certainly there's potential for greater integration if we have a change in the law that enables it. We are also interested in promoting employment opportunities at the subcontract level, perhaps with some of the Ability One nonprofit agencies' commercial partners. We're also interested in promoting employment opportunities within the federal government um, and within other employers as well. So, so I think that the commission sees Ability One as uh, an employment program and also a pathway to employment outside the program. One of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about is that this new strategic plan envisions uh, that the commission encourages a few pilot programs, taking advantage of the creativity of the NPAs to see what can be done even under the current law to um, find more CIE with competitive integrated employment within these settings and without. What are the ways that we can learn from this so that as we do develop perhaps the opportunity to expand the law, uh, we'll have some track record to be based to base on. And before we move off this topic, uh, ACB President Dan Spoon, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as you know, over, over the past month and talking with our members and partners and uh, attending the VisionServe Executive Leadership Conference in, in Tampa I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this topic as well. Um, thank you, Clark. And I guess first, a, a clarifi clarifying question for, for Kim and Brian and, and Gabe is, you know, Kim, you mentioned at the beginning that Ability One provides over 40,000 jobs across the country, and, and that's true. But I think many of our members do not realize there's really two different um, programs that make up Ability One you know, with the National Industries for the Blind and Source America. So if you could maybe give us a little background on that and what a, that employment split is between the National Industries for the Blind and Source America. Dan, happy to do that. You're absolutely right. The Ability One program was founded in 1938 and was initially a program to employ people who are blind. National Industries for the Blind was the first central nonprofit agency and worked with a number of organizations across the country to create jobs. As I mentioned, there are currently 58 nonprofit agencies that are associated with NIB. The employment numbers for people who are blind in the Ability One program are around 4,000. Um, and certainly those will vary year to year. We've seen a little bit of a change in our employment in the past two years in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but I would also be quick that 
our nonprofit agencies are outplacing individuals to employment in the community outside of the Ability One program. So the 4,000 individuals who work in Ability One today uh, among our agencies associated with NIB, they're not the same 4,000 people necessarily who worked within our program a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. America is the other uh, central nonprofit agency. They work with nonprofit employers of people with significant disabilities. That is a broader population. They have 392 currently nonprofit agencies that are associated with Source America. So their employment is the other 36,000 or so uh, Ability One workforce members. Thank you for that clarification. And just to kind of hone in a little on the, the direct, direct labor ratios and uh, what uh, Vision Serve Alliance kind of called the, the blind ceiling, um, have you all, what, what is your data showing in that area where you see folks that uh, work in the direct, direct labor force, but you're not seeing that natural progression into the supervisor roles and ultimately management roles and, and the executive suite. Do we do do you all keep track of that data? And where where are you seeing uh, involvement of our blind and low vision community, not only in the direct labor pool, but in the the kind of white collar management roles that support the uh, MPAs? I'm really glad you asked that question because that's one of the ways in which we want to modernize the Ability One program. I think that in this day and age, perhaps uh, making a distinction between direct labor and indirect labor um, is not necessarily where we want to go. We want to see people who are blind, people with significant disabilities, working in the Ability One program in, in all, at all levels, in all types of jobs. Uh, currently, we do not collect how many people who are blind or people with significant disabilities are working in roles outside of direct labor because that is the way the program was created. Um, so we currently look at direct labor primarily, but I know anecdotally, many of our organizations have CEOs who are blind or visually impaired, have senior leaders who are blind or visually impaired, supervisors, managers um, throughout the organization. And perhaps Brian, that's something you would like to speak to from your own experience and the, the nonprofit agencies that you visited. Sure. Um, you're spot on, Kim. I am one of those anecdotes. I'm a CEO <laughs> who's blind. I'm not counted in the Ability One program statistics. Agencies have no incentive to hire supervisors, managers, high-level people, because it doesn't, it's not currently tallied. We all want that path of uh, upward progression in careers. And so as we think about adjusting what is counted, some of the things that we would like to see prioritized are those upwardly mobile um, places up to and including the CEO and also out out, uh, placements. So for instance, you work at an uh, NIB facility and then you get a job with Intel Right now, that's just not counted in any, as any kind of accomplishment. Yeah. It, in, in the future, we would be able to count that because that would be one of the best outcomes of these programs, career advancements and progressions. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Gabe, any comments from you in that area? 
that for you? I think my colleagues covered this one thoroughly. <laughs> Very good. The other thing I'd like to learn a little bit more about, Kim, you kind of mentioned it with kind of reaching out to more of the commercial market. And I, just um, for my own personal involvement, I'm on the board of Lighthouse Central Florida, which is one of those 58 um, NIB, NPA agencies. And where we've seen tremendous growth here in Central Florida is through services as opposed to direct products. And that being in, in, a, in, a, in a call center that has really grown in employment opportunities for our blind and low vision community over the last two to three years. Many of those positions count in the national industries for the blind numbers, but they don't count in ability one because they're not associated with federal contracts. Uh, and you had kind of mentioned uh, perhaps modernizing the program to include more outreach to the, the commercial segment, the state agencies who, who have a lot of job opportunities out there. How, how do you think that could manifest itself? Dan, I want to say I have visited uh, the Lighthouse of Central Florida and was very impressed with it. Um, and I'm glad to hear that your contact center work is growing. Um, that's a wonderful line of business. And I think you raise an excellent point. We know that Ability One contracts can help an organization build its experience, build its capability, serve as a prime contractor, potentially serve as a subcontractor. So it, it can lead to opportunities well beyond the Ability One program. And so um, counting those opportunities, I think, makes a lot of sense if we really want to understand the impact of federal contracts in, in serving you know, this community and the other communities that we serve in the Ability One program. So I'm sure the commission will take that uh, as a recommendation to consider. Yeah, I, might, I might add that at the Lighthouse for the Blind here in San Francisco, about 60% of our production business is actually commercial business, not Ability One business. Our lines of environmentally safe cleaners and disinfectants, for instance, you can find them in all office depots around the country. Um, this is a path. We're about employment, blind employment, whether it comes from federal contracts or whether it comes in the commercial space. We're proud of the quality of our products, our blind-led uh, production, up and including our PhD chemist who's blind, who does the mixing and blending and quality control. This is fantastic. We love that this is in the commercial space, and that's why we're excited we think that competitive integrated employment going forward, we can enter that space in a big way and be very successful at it. That's great. It just seems like that's where so much of the growth is in our uh, US economy is in the service sector more than it is in the product space. In you the know? Yeah, in the service sector and also uh, related to the next topic that Swatha is going to lead us into, but accessible workplace technology plays a, a very large part as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, Kim, um, one of the kind of pillars or objectives of the draft strategic plan mentions um, the 
mentions the President Biden's executive, executive order on um, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility. Um, so, like for yeah, the executive order fourteen twenty-five. How can the con- commission or um, the member NPA um, increase the diversity, increase DEIA in their um, organizations or in the workforce? Thank you for that question, Swada. The commission as a federal agency is covered by the scope of executive order 14035 and is committed to being a model for DEIA, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Along with the rest of the federal government, we issued a DEIA plan in April that is posted on our website. And internally, we have a cross-functional DEIA team that's tasked with implementing our initiatives. And that includes things like providing training, quarterly reviews of our policies to make sure that there's nothing in the policies that may be exclusive or not supporting our goals. We have an accessibility council of commission staff with some contractor support and expertise as well. So um, it's something that we're very excited about and committed to. And of course, the principles of DEIA, I think, apply to everyone in the Ability One program, although the executive order is specific to the federal government. Um, if, you, if you think about Brian's organization, as he was just mentioning, the positions that people who are blind hold in his organization, I think it's a, a fine model of DEIA. Um, and that's something that we want to continue to discuss with the Ability One community, make sure that they're familiar with all of the aspects of DEIA and that we're doing everything we can to support and bring more momentum to DEIA. Yeah, I wonder if, I wonder if I could get Brian's thoughts as well on the DEIA and NPAs. Yeah, thank you, Swafa. Um, couple of things. First, the commission itself. Well, when I joined the commission last July, um, like many federal agencies, it had some challenges with accessibility. And just to be frank, some of them were severe. Some of them were longstanding. And um, what, I, what I do love is that when people with disabilities engaged Kim Zeich and the leadership of the commission, she rushed in and got consultants and practices changed. And so our access to data and statistics and all of that, even something basic like slides in meetings that delivered in advance, these things are now in process of rapid change. And I really want to commend Kim for the effort that she and her team have been making so that first the commission works in an accessible environment, and then the CNAs and the NPAs um, all of those, all those folks working together, have that modeled and have a, a raised level of expectation that people who are blind or have low vision will be able to do our jobs because we have that accessible information. So um, we're not done yet, but we've these last ten months have been really a, a, a time of great change. And at or, our organization, some of the NPAs that I visited, the situation varies. I know in many, uh, many um, NPAs, individual line workers don't have access to email or have not been trained in how to use email, a basic work 
workplace practice. And so sometimes we have to start there. There are really no standards in the law right now about what an NPA needs to do. But I can, I can tell you at the Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco, we expect employees to participate alongside their sighted peers in every level, in every department. And that includes a basic accessibility, electronic accessibility. Um, and it includes training in the skills of blindness, O&M, um, independent living, and all of that. That's one of the the great advantages of having a comprehensive blindness center also be part of NIB because those services are already in it at hand. I'd love to hear what uh, Gabe's thinking is of this as well. Yeah, Gabe, anything to add? Thanks, Brian. I 100% agree uh, with what you said. I think that having um, engaged at the very beginning with the commission when we got appointed and, and confronted those accessibility challenges head on, um, really, I think, gave us an opportunity to learn uh, and to grow collectively. And I look forward to implementing the goals and objectives of the strategic plan, particularly around accessibility. Uh, for our, our agency so that we can be the model for the rest of the Ability One uh, network of how you can achieve workplace accessibility for people who are blind or have significant disabilities. And Brian, you mentioned uh, accessibility to ensure that people who are blind uh, can have full participation in all aspects of of work, life, and training. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I, if I did not add that that includes accessing um, all of the benefits of employment as well. And the, the San Francisco Lighthouse made a, a bit of news last year um, in their efforts to ensure accessibility in the, the services that they provide to their employees. Are you able to, to share a little bit about that? I can share some. I mean, we have a, a settlement agreement and in the agreement, um, ADP, which does our employee, um, uh, many of our HR benefits, uh, we had accessibility challenges with them when we chose to buy into that system. We chose ADP because 500,000 Americans work under this system and um, it was profoundly inaccessible. I think it's fair to say. And our blind lighthouse has about 55% of our workforce who are blind or have low vision. From the beginning, we had significant accessibility challenges. And what I can say is that we have a formal agreement with ADP to work out these challenges. I've seen the, the first of these um, um, successes was in the benefit election uh, system this spring, choosing your benefits that was inaccessible before. It's now accessible. Uh, we are meeting quarterly with ADP and our legal counsel to make sure that uh, progress is being made. And I'm very encouraged by the early results. Um, and when we finish, not only will employees of Lighthouse have the ability to check their timesheets, check their direct reports timesheets, do all the things wage and hour um, and uh, 
everything else that HR process does, but so will 500,000 other Americans in any work uh, place that will log on to the system. And that is very encouraging to me. Yeah, I think that's a, a fabulous step forward. And uh, thank you for the, the leadership of the Lighthouse on that issue. And once again, it, it proves um, it's become especially true over the past two years that the, the virtual built environment, um, it's just as important for that to be accessible and usable by everyone as the, the physical built environment. Amen, brother. <laughs> More work to be done in, in that regard, but we're, we're doing it. We're, we're trying it. So back to you, Swatha. All righty. So Kim, um, so ACB has long supported the phase out of subminimum wages um, with, the, with with supports, and um, uh, we are delighted to see Ability One has also um, supported that. Um, so, any any announcements on that front, or anything to to um, announce about phase out subminimum wages? Thank you, Swart. Thank you, Swada. The commission's rulemaking action to end the use of subminimum wages on all Ability One contracts is the top priority um, that we have for regulations. As you noted, the initial rule was published. We received a lot of comments. We're going through all those comments and preparing our final rule. The final rule, as required by the process, will also be published for public comments. So I don't have a date um, certain by which we will publish that final rule, but you will see it before the end of the fiscal year is my prediction. And as I said, the commission is very committed to moving forward with that rule. It's very, very important to us. Oh, Kim, we were hoping for the, uh, the, the exact date for that final rule. Maybe <laughs> share it with us on this podcast. So we understand and appreciate the commission working through that process. Um, as Fatha stated, our our members you know, support the phase out with with supports, um, and there's there is concern among our members that with the you know the elimination of subminimum wages and the full uh, transition to to CIE that there there might be, there may likely be people who are blind, low vision, or folks with multiple disabilities who, uh, you know, elect not to uh, work in competitive integrated employment. Um, so I guess a, a question for the group, and we can begin with, with Gabe if, if uh, everyone's amenable with that, but I guess what needs to be done, you know, inside the Ability One program, but more broadly to ensure that uh, folks who are not seeking competitive integrated employment, that they are still able to receive the community supports and training that, that they need and they desire, um, albeit not tied to a vocational outcome? That's a great question, Clark. And the reality is that uh, it's going to take more than just the Ability One Commission to ensure that in, no one gets left behind. It's gonna take a whole of government response, our sister agencies, uh, where we are and will continue to work very closely uh, with them to ensure that 
we can use and leverage all of the resources of the federal government to support those uh, who may not, for whatever reason, be seeking competitive integrated employment. You know, something that Brian Bashan reminds us of every meeting, and I, I hope you'll speak to it, uh, Brian, is that our job is to make sure that as we pursue this uh, new path forward for the Ability One Commission, that we remember that it's our responsibility that no one gets left behind. And, and I, I take that to heart. Uh, that's something that I think about every time we are reviewing policy language, kind of contemplating a policy decision, because it's not our, uh, we don't intend, it's not our, our goal to put anyone out on the street. In fact, we have the complete opposite goal of making sure that anyone who wants to participate in the program has the opportunity to do so. So I'm gonna turn it over to Brian. Uh, thank you, Gabe, you said it very well. Um, you know, we are in a time when we are looking at not only blindness, but intersectional disabilities. And people have a spectrum of needs and choices and people that are in the program who have had a long history of being in the program, the last thing we want to do is dislodge people who have not opted themselves to go into competitive integrated employment. We know we're members of the community. There are lots, lots of reasons why people are where they are, but that doesn't excuse us from the opportunity to develop creatively with industry and with our NPAs new ways so that the, the future, the many, many new jobs that we need to punch at that unemployment rate hovering at 60, 70% at a time when the American unemployment rate is 3.8% today. Um, we need CIE to make a dent in that. And those jobs in the competitive integrated world are exciting, fun, diverse jobs. And we should not limit the opportunities for people who are blind and have low vision to simply non-integrated jobs. So that's, that's the long-time aspiration. We have to, for the moment, work under the strictures of the legislation that we, we are working under. But we, we take a long view here, and we know that we can do some real good in the world if we put our heads together, invent those pilots, work with industry, and, and invent the future for blind people. All right, thank you both so much. And Dan, I wanna bring you back into the conversation here and see if you have any uh, additional thoughts or questions. Uh, well, excellent, excellent conversation. Um, I, I guess a question for Kimberly, I, I feel like I'm asking tough questions here, Kimberly, so I apologize for that. But, you know, uh, I, when, when we spoke to the National Industries for the Blind recently and talked to Kevin and Angela, just ask the kind of pretty direct question of, you know, do you have anybody that's blind or low vision that works in your executive suite? And the answer was no. And so I think in fairness, I'll, I'll kind of ask you the same question. Do you have anyone that's blind or low vision that works in your executive suite? And, and if, if so, or if not, you know, how, what do we do to get people develop to the right skill sets so they can obtain these type of positions. Thank you, Dan. And, and I'm willing to take on a difficult question. 
Um, one, I want to say that the commission is working on an affirmative action plan. That's another requirement of federal agencies that we will be publishing soon. Um, so certainly we are focusing on the diversity of our staff and ensuring that we have candidates and applicants um, that are reflective of the entire United States. Now, I do not have a senior staff member today who's blind or visually impaired. We do have employees with other disabilities, including some targeted disabilities. Um, but we, I think we are, um, we're really pleased to have leadership right now on the commission with Gabe, with Brian, with our other private citizen members. And we expect to increase the diversity of the commission staff as we have hiring opportunities. Dan and Kim, and if I may jump in here very quickly, um, Dan, to your point, that is something that Kim and the staff know that uh, at the private citizen commissioners feel very strongly about. It's important to us that the staff reflects the community that we represent. So um, we are looking at every opportunity when jobs are posted uh, to bring on and recruit candidates with qualified candidates with disabilities. But to get to the second part of your question, you know, my day job is to be the director of the city of Houston mayor's office for people with disabilities. And we're hiring right now. And I don't know if it's a lack of quality uh, employment training for uh, senior executive positions, because I'm hiring for one right now here with the city. So if your listeners are interested, you can go to HoustonTX.gov slash HR and see what I have open. Uh, but, but we are seeing a, a, a lack of a pool of qualified candidates with disabilities. So I think that's an important role that the advocacy organizations can play. You have memberships um, that you work with very closely uh, to, to build some of those skill sets. So I think more partnerships like the ones ACB does um, with industry to provide uh, uh, those seeking employment with internship or apprenticeship opportunities are really the tools that are needed to, to build up that qualified pool of applicants for these kinds of different jobs. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, this is Brian. I'm really a believer in you can't improve what you don't measure. And uh, there's some good news on this score, which is that starting last month and continuing for a couple more months, the uh, pay and benefits survey that's gone out, compensation benefits survey, to all VisionServe members and NIB will for the first time get at those demographics that you had asked about, not only the demographics of the CEO, but also senior management, board chair, board composition, uh, and this is uh, on metrics of disability, race, ethnicity, and all of that. This field has never had that kind of comprehensive survey. We expect the survey will close at the end of June We'll have real numbers in summertime. And if I can uh, suggest, this will sort of propel a lot of good questions about where we're doing well and where we need to put additional attention. But yes, there are challenges, as Gabe said, about the pipeline and where you find people. But let's at least get that baseline so we know what we're doing now 
and what we probably very strongly need to improve. I completely agree with you, Brian. If you can put something together and measure it and baseline it, then put the right programs in place, then you can see hopefully the outcomes you you hope to see. But it's all anecdotal unless you get some some true you know data to evaluate your progress. That's right. I'm really looking forward to that data. It's the first in our industry, and um, it will spark a lot of conversations. Yeah, because I think it does make a huge difference if somebody sees somebody, hears somebody that looks like them. It 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 does have an impact. It, it's it's inspirational, uh, you know, for for folks that are they're getting started in their careers. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Thank you for answering that difficult question, Kim. I appreciate it. <laughs> and a big thank you to everyone joining us for this podcast. Uh, one final question for our guests, and that's uh, to see if there's anything else that you all would like to address or items that you'd like to, upcoming items that you'd like to, to share with our members. So uh, Kim, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that uh, you would like to speak to? Uh, thank you, Clark. Yes, I, I will go first with that and, and uh, we'll, we'll then uh, pass the mic, so to speak. Um, the commission is holding all of its public meetings on the Zoom platform now so that anyone and everyone with an interest in what's happening at the US Ability One Commission will be able to attend. So July 21st is our next public meeting. It will be on Zoom. We hold them in the afternoon from 1 to 4 p.m. And uh, so I would like to invite everybody listening to attend our public meeting. I'll second that. You know, since, since the new public members are on board, we've set, seen a 500% increase yes. in public engagement. Wow. A lot of that is thanks to Kim for making sure that our outreach lists are now more comprehensive. And we'd appreciate it if every chapter and affiliate of ACB, among others, comes and participates in this rather pivotal uh, change to a program that's 84 years old and needs to modernize for the next 84 years. I think we are very hungry as commission members for ideas, especially about pilots that can get us into the competitive workforce more. And any other ideas that you think we should be considering as we start the process of looking at what could we do legislatively to improve our abilities to serve blind Americans? And I will simply add that one of the critiques of the Ability One program for decades, uh, I remember when I was on the advocacy space, was the lack of transparency and the lack of access. I am very proud to serve with a group of commissioners and under the leadership of our chair, Jeffrey Kosas, and, and the staff led by Kim Zyke, uh, in, a in a commission that's committed to transparency and access. We've held public meetings, both with NPAs and with disability advocates regarding the strategic plan. We've received more than 77 comments through regulations.gov on our strategic plan. Uh, and every single one of those comments matters. Every single engagement like this one matters because this is a program for the community. And it's important that the community's voice is heard and reflected 
in our plans moving forward. So I wanna stress to the community uh, that this is a new day for the commission. Uh, this is a new day in, in access and equity and transparency uh, and public engagement. And I hope uh, you have begun to see that and you will continue to see that uh, be the case as we move forward. Well, and for everyone listening who's part of, uh, you know, a member of ACB, but also as Gabe is, is stating, the broader community, if you would like to learn more about the, the work of the Ability One Commission and the Ability One program, as well as to find information about the upcoming listening event, uh, Kim, is the, the best way to visit the website abilityone.gov? Yes, that is our website, abilityone.gov. And a, a big thank you to President Spoon for joining us here for this podcast, as well as to our guests, uh, the Acting Executive Director Kimberly Zyke for the Ability One Commission, as well as Commissioners Brian Bashan and uh, Gabe Casadas. So everyone, again, thank you so much here for this conversation. We look forward to working with you all, uh, the Commission, as well as our partners in the, the blindness space as uh, we all look to ensure the future of the Ability One program and with you know, reforms and modernization. So it continues serving its you know, intended purpose and goal to provide greater employment and engagement for people who are blind and the broader disability community. So again, thank you all. Thank you to everyone who's listening. And we'll close out this podcast the same way we always do. Swatha? Keep advocating. This episode of the ACB Advocacy Update has been made possible in part through the support of ACB of Minnesota. ACBM wants to send along heartfelt greetings to all of its family throughout the ACB community. Having hosted two outstanding and invigorating ACB national conventions, they are committed to expanding opportunity for Americans who are blind and visually impaired. ACBM supports the James R. Olson Memorial Scholarship honoring one of its past members, and they continue to not let life during these challenging times slow down. ACBM invites all to their informative bi-monthly community conference calls, ranging on everything from sports and technology to gardening and loving life in the land of 10,000 lakes. They hold quarterly monthly membership meetings, monthly coffee gatherings, and monthly board meetings. To learn more about ACBM, visit their website at www.acbminnesota.org or call 612-223-5543. ACBM, a supporter of the ACB Media Network.